Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in this series called Jesus Uncut, and it's a series of how Jesus was able to deal with certain people in the scriptures in a way that you would not expect a leader to do. And one of the things that we notice in this particular story that we're going to be looking at is that he did things that were always a little different. They, it, was, it wasn't just once in a while, it was all the time. He kept everybody on their toes. No one knew what to expect. And that's one of the reasons why they always believed they could entrap Jesus. And the people who wanted to really entrap Jesus were the religious leaders of that day. The people who wanted Jesus to fail were the ones who were in religious power and who had been abusing that power, putting heavy burdens on people's lives. Last week we looked at how it is possible to be a religious abuser or to be under religious abusers and how it is possible for all of us to have a form of religious abuse that can reveal itself in the most unexpected of ways and how Jesus confronts that not just in us but he confronted the religious abusers of his day and of today as well. Well, the story that we are looking at is another example of how that occurred. It's actually a story that is found in the Gospel of John and in chapter 7. It begins in the latter parts of that chapter, and it speaks to us of something that occurred in someone's life, something that was done in secret, something that was consensual, something that was happening between two people, but yet it was exposed. It was brought out in front of everyone. And everyone expected Jesus to respond a particular way. And that didn't occur the way that they imagined. Instead of seeing these two people judged for their sin, what happened instead was that they found themselves under the scrutiny of God, under the examination of the Holy Spirit, and they found themselves having to look deeply, not only within, but also without at everyone else that was there who had the exact same intentions. Not long ago in the news, there was a woman who was brought in front of a throng of men who killed her and did worse to her before they did that. 400 men, in fact, uh, took a woman who wasn't wearing her head covering and they took advantage of her and made her an example. And this was broadcast across the news and it was shown as one of the most horrendous acts that we had seen 
filmed in a very long time in the country of Pakistan. It's the same kind of mentality that would bring people to act the same way in the story that we're looking at. It was a woman who had been caught in adultery, and of course it emphasizes the fact that it was a woman and not a man, and the woman is the one who was brought in front of the crowd and in front of Jesus and not the man. And even though that may have been the case then, very much so, these types of things continue to happen today. As we saw in the news not long ago, this was something that happened and occurred in a time in which people expected justice to be held and done so publicly and even violently. Justice had to be administered swiftly and it was done at the hands of religious abusers. When they brought this woman in front of Jesus, and when they brought her and not the man, they asked Jesus, this woman was caught in the act. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how this occurred. I don't know, we don't know the details, but they were caught together. And the woman is brought. So there's no denying the evidence that this was what was happening. And in this case, what they expected to happen was that this woman would be stoned to death. Now, and it's important for clarification purposes that the law of Moses did declare that in some cases of adultery, stoning could be allowed. But it would have to have been uh, a woman who had been a virgin. In other words, somehow taken advantage of or lured or something of that nature and then this would have been applied. But this was not the case in this particular instance. So again, the religious abusers are twisting the law for their own purposes, but more importantly, they're trying to entrap Jesus. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that Jesus is put in a position where both religiously, politically, socially, and even in terms of all that we can say spiritually, he would be damned, he would be judged, he would be condemned himself. And so they're doing everything that they possibly can to make sure that Jesus passes this judgment, that he passes this condemnation, and that they are made to look like the righteous ones and Jesus like the unrighteous one who passed the judgment in a manner that everyone saw befitting. And it would also make Jesus one of them again. It would make them able to go around saying, Jesus is like us. Instead, everyone was going around saying, Jesus is not like the Pharisees. He's not like the priests that we have. He's not like the religious leaders that we currently have. And this differentiation that existed between Jesus and the religious abusers would finally be gone. I remember being a young man and I had an uncle, he was really cool. He lived in Windsor, uh, he had worked for Chrysler Canada and then for Ford. And at one time, he was able to take one of the first Ford Mustangs, 1976 Ford Mustangs, right off of the line. And he took that car and he drove it all the way to Montreal. And when my uncle showed up, he was like, um, he looked like James Dean. Now really, he really did. He looked like 
James Dean. His hairstyle, his white t-shirt, he had a, a pack of uh, camel cigarettes that he would wrap in his t-shirt. He had the tight jeans that were rolled at the bottom. You know the look I'm talking about? And, and he shows up in this Ford Mustang, he shows up at our house, and, and then we're just like in awe, you know? Because here, here was my uncle, and then here was my dad. Like, they're totally different. They were not the same. They were close in age, but it just didn't make sense. And so my, my uncle sees us, we're playing, and what, he sees us what we're doing, and he says, what are you guys doing? It's like, we're, we're trying to make slingshots. And he's like, no, no, this is not how you make a slingshot. I'm going to show you how to make a slingshot. So he takes us into my dad's garage and makes use of his tools and starts taking wood. And, and he makes us a, a, a slingshot that we had never in our minds ever imagined. It was on a, it was on a piece of board, a piece of wood. He had put a handle on it. He had this super strong elastic that he had that he had, he had fabricated inside the, the garage, taking my dad's stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, we were able to go out into uh, the neighborhood and just start shooting things in a way that we had never been able to do before. Unfortunately, we decided once my uncle had gone into the house to use the slingshot on each other. My little brother standing in front of the garage and I decide to take aim at him. I'm just trying to aim in his, his abdomen or somewhere. That I didn't think it was going to be that hard or that strong because the slingshots that we had before, we just like take a little shot and it wouldn't even hurt. That wasn't the case this time. I took that slingshot, let it go, and a stone went flying and got my brother right between the eyes right up above in his forehead it left a dent a dent that to this day is still there like crazy what a loser i was to have done such a thing just wasn't thinking we were small kids we didn't realize but keep in mind that back then i played with lawn darts anybody ever see what a lawn dart is hey anybody know what that is uh, it was a long spike of metal, like about six inches, that was supposed to be tossed into a ring, but we would toss them up into the air and then scatter. So it kind of gives you an idea of the way that we used to play. I say this because sometimes you throw a stone and you want to hurt somebody, but you don't really want to kill them. You throw a stone, you want to injure them, you want to hurt them enough, but you don't want to take them out. Does that make sense? So there are times when you do throw stones, and I think we've all been thrown stores, thrown stone throwers in this room, but we, our intention has not been to take somebody out. But sometimes we get into a debate, an argument, with someone we love, someone that we do life with, and we throw a stone. We condemn them. Sometimes we have a conversation. The conversation isn't about you or the other person. It's about somebody else who isn't in the room. And we throw a stone. 
And we do those things because we think that in that moment, for whatever reason, we are justified in throwing it. We become stone throwers. And what Jesus does in this story is that he reminds us that we actually don't have the right to be a stone thrower. Now, I want to take the time to read through the story, but we kind of fumbled our way through a few things this morning, so I'm going to skip that part. But I want you to take a look at that passage. It's found in John chapter 7, and it goes up until um, chapter 8 and verse 11. But at one point, Jesus does something incredibly interesting. He stops what he's doing. He stops what he's saying. And the Bible says that he gets down and he starts to write on the ground. And, and no one actually knows what he does. But I think that when you want someone to look at yourself, you stop talking. I, I think that what Jesus was probably doing in that moment, and people have speculated, they said that he was writing down the sins of every person that was there. Maybe. But I think that would have taken a long time. I think what Jesus was simply doing was just taking a time out. He was creating a pause. He was creating a time of reflection. A time where people had to look at themselves. And one of the things that we fail to do as a church sometimes, and what we fail to do as followers of Jesus, is that we fail to properly look at ourselves before we already set out to throw stones and hurt someone and maybe kill them. And what Jesus does in this moment is that he bends down and takes a pause and then when he sees that people are still there, that no one is gone, in other words, the time of reflection and examination and self-examination that is supposed to be taking place isn't going far enough. He then says these famous words that all of us have at some point heard in our life, that he who is without sin, may they cast the first stone. And the scripture says that the oldest in the group were the first to leave. And that the last to go were the youngest. Now there's something about getting older that helps us to understand that as we get older, I, I know it doesn't always work like that, but in this story, as these men had gotten older, their powers of self-examination had gotten better. And I would argue that no matter how bad we are at the age that we are at, we are better at it now than when we were in our teens and in our 20s. Wouldn't you say that's true? That the way we think about things, the way we react and respond to things, the way that we are also willing to take action on things and condemn people and things, we're not as quick to do it because we've lived long enough to see the different iterations of our own life. 
and how we have not always successfully lived that life in a way that was honoring to God, to others, and even to ourselves. And so in the moments of our life in which we have struggled with this, we see that the oldest leave because they understand that if there's someone there who doesn't have the right to throw that stone, it's them. You would figure that at this point and stage in their life, being as old as they were, that they would have the right. That they would have gotten things right. That they would have lived long enough to please God to a measure and to a level that was definitely better than when they first started out in life. You would figure that as they had aged, not only did they increase in knowledge and wisdom, but they also got better at being spiritually right before God. And yet they're the first ones to leave. Because here's what I've come to know firsthand. The closer you get to God, the more you realize you are not worthy to be there. The more you understand about God, the more you realize that how far you are in being able to please him still. But that also brings you to a place where you are no longer relying on yourself, but you are relying and depending on Jesus as the reason with why you are able to be close and in the presence and to be made one with God in the first place. That it is no longer because of you, but it is because of Jesus. And what Jesus brings to everyone's attention is that there is no one who is righteous enough to throw this stone, but there is someone who is righteous enough to forgive not only the woman who was brought to be stoned, but everyone who thought they were righteous enough to demand that the law be fulfilled and applied to this woman's life. And Jesus does the unexpected. He turns to the woman and then he says to her these marvelous words. Is there anyone here who still condemns you? And she says, no, they're all gone. And Jesus says, and neither do I condemn you. Can you imagine that? Wait a second. Are we talking about a righteousness and a judgment that is applied because people are either there or they're not? No, that's not what he meant. Because they were already wrong to be there in the first place, but... The fact that they're all gone doesn't make it right for how she lived, what she did, or how all this came about. But it's the fact that Jesus points out something that all of us sometimes need to hear in our own lives. And maybe you need to hear this today in your own. And, and here it is. You are no longer condemned in Christ Jesus. If Christ Jesus is your savior can you say amen to that you are no longer under any condemnation none none whatsoever so what jesus is saying is that i am here to remove that condemnation and so he did it in a way 
that only he could do it. He was able to see her heart. He was able to know her. He was able to see her in the act and then see her before him after she had been dragged there by the mob. None of those things prevented Jesus from being able to remove the condemnation that she was under, not only in the eyes of men, not even only in her own eyes, but also in the eyes of God. Jesus was able to forgive her and remove the condemnation in the first person. He could do it himself. And that proved his divinity, his ability to do the things that no one else could do. He wasn't just a religious leader and teacher. He was the living son of God. God made flesh. God who had come to set us free from all condemnation. And he did it in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus freed this woman from condemnation, the next thing he tells her, he says, now I want you to go and sin no more. So after having received that forgiveness and having that condemnation lifted, what Jesus tells her next is so important for each of us in this room. What are we going to do to live our life differently? How are we going to do things better? How are we not going to be the same person who keeps doing the same thing, falling in the same traps because of the same habits that have somehow kept us from experiencing the fullness of everything that God has to offer us instead? And the answer again is going back to a God, going through a Jesus who removes the condemnation, but then gives us the ability to step forward in the freedom of that forgiveness, giving us a new life so that we don't have to go back to the old life. So right now, if there's any condemnation that you're feeling, if there's any guilt, if there's something from the past that you have not been able to let go of and you feel like it won't let you go, if there's something or someone in your life that somehow still has a hold on you and keeps bringing it up and putting it in your face and every so often maybe it's brought to your attention in a way that injures you, hurts you and brings you back to that place where you feel condemned. I want you to know that in Jesus' name none of that is from God. That is not the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That is Satan making sure you never are set free from that condemnation. Because when Jesus stops, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to give everybody a chance to get right. Whether it's the condemner or the condemned. And what Jesus wants to make sure is that we don't find ourselves in either one of those categories. But we find ourselves instead in the category of the person that has been set free. That can begin a new life that can start right now, that life, again. Amen? Are we ready to do that? Father, I want to take this opportunity to pray with each person that is here and each person that is watching online. I pray, Father, that you would help us and that you would equip us and prepare us in this life to no longer be stone throwers, but instead to be people who have been set free from that violence in our hearts, that attitude of condemnation, 
And I also pray, God, that if we would be under any condemnation today, that we would be set free from that as well. Thank you that you are giving us all a fresh start, that you are also giving us a new command, a new instruction to go out into this world with this new beginning that you offer us so that we can go out and sin no more. I pray that you would put that strength in us, that you would equip us and prepare us, and all that you have done for us, we thank you, God. Not just for today, but what you are going to do in the days to come. Thank you for taking care of our past. Thank you for being with us in the present. And we thank you, God, for the glorious future that you have prepared for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.